Today is March 3rd. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are now on Treaty 7, signed in 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations, and the Sutina. I acknowledge all Indigenous, Métis, Inuit, status, and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of this land. Hoki. I'm Mekochis Jestakom Aki, or Red Thunder Woman in Blackfoot. My spirit name was given to me in ceremony, and when I say that word and I, I talk in Blackfoot, I call in my spirits, and I'm grateful for that. And my humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders, language keepers, as I try to learn the proper pronunciation. My hope is, is that I not just honor the Blackfoot, but I honor my ancestors. My name is Michelle Robinson. I was born in Calgary as Michelle Elliott, a very English name that has afforded me great privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, and my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I am the daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act imposed status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary. But my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area called Clinchotine Intehe in Satu Dene, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical to creating a safer space for Indigenous as well as honoring the host as a guest. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I can share what I think I know as I walk down the red road. If you are experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything I talk about today or want to talk, you can call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free and open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Non-Indigenous, there are distress lines in your area, and today's topic that you may want to call any um, LGBTQ2 plus uh, friendly distress lines as well. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. I want to say thank you to previous donors for showing your support to the show. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Well, welcome to Native Calgarian. Today's really special for me because I have my cousin online. So, Callie, I welcome you to my show. Thank you for agreeing to be on it. Yeah, I... I am happy to be here. Well, that's great. Um, so I think we're going to start here by saying that, Callie, the reason why I reached out to you and seen this fantastic um, work that you're doing is because you posted this great video on allyship and what is allyship. So I wanted to ask you, what are you doing? Um, well, how? What is your association with this allyship network? What is this video all about? And, and do you want to just kind of talk a little bit about how you got into this place of putting together a video like this? So Allyship Network is a student service at the University of 
Western Ontario, which I attend. That's in London, Ontario. And um, this year I was uh, pulled on as a training facilitator. So we conduct training for various groups, including all of the different faculty student councils and the student government. And one of the projects that we wanted to do this year was a video project as on our team, we have a couple of video production and media students. So we thought we would use some of their expertise and they've done a wonderful job. So this is actually the first in a small series that we're planning on doing, but uh, this first one was written by uh, me and our um, allyship coordinator, who is Lane Clark, as well as um, Alec Mazarek, who was the other person in the video, and Brody Ashcroft, who was our uh, producer slash uh, cameraman doing all of the production aspects of that. So uh, allyship, a lot of the concepts that are in that video, that was very much an introductory video for people who um, have a very, very low baseline introduction to the concepts. A lot of it is trying to correct misconceptions on various concepts that you that you hear about, but maybe don't know exactly what they are. Wow. Well, it was incredible to me because I think out here in Calgary, you know, I'm trying to talk about, you know, power, privilege and complexities, intersectionalities. So for me to see you put out this video, I was like, yes, I'm going to share this. So I tried to share it with everyone I could. But I I want to keep talking about, um, you know, the need for making this. And I, I think, you know, being a training facilitator, facilitator is fantastic work. I'm, I'm really proud that that's what you're up to. Um, so I, th I found it to be a really great small introductory video. What are some of the other videos in the series that you were thinking about uh, continuing this conversation with? Um, so we, we were having various discussions. One of them we were, um, because obviously the, the end of the year is approaching, so we, we don't have a lot of time to produce a lot of them. Um, as we, we want to make sure that they're well-written and well-produced, so we don't want to be rushing them out. But um, there are other groups on campus that we were looking at collaborating with. There's, um, there's Indigenous Services, which is another um, USC service, which is our undergrad student union. Um, there is also um, GEN, which is our gender equality network which we're also looking at uh, collaborating with. Um, but it really depends on who we have available to us. Um, we might see some different people um, sort of on, on film rather, but there are a fair number of people um, sort of behind the camera, especially in the writing process. I've known you uh, your entire life. And I'm, you know, I've always seen that you've been interested in arts, music, um, and it's great to see you in video production. Uh, do you want to talk at all about what you're taking in, in school right now so that maybe people can understand even more, a little more about you? 
Um, so in school, I'm studying uh, what's called MOS or more management and organizational studies. So that's um, a management style um, undergrad degree that has a focus on different types of organizations and ways of um, working through them. So it's a lot of um, like the way people work in teams and stuff like that. So it's not just a business aspect, though there is a lot of business aspects in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I know um, the nonprofit thing that I do is I I do all sorts of comedy here in London with the Western Comedy Club, and I found that um, when we were making this video, I wanted to put jokes in it. I wanted to make humor, and uh, well, for one thing, it was important that I was doing actual good jokes that were not at the expense of the material. Um, so a lot of that also came through with tone. Um, Brody did a wonderful job making it seem like one of those uh, informational videos from the 90s. But I I think it was really important to me that we made it actually entertaining to watch because then um, you get a lot more engagement if you have something that is actually interesting to watch and then also has information inside of that. So um, that that's clearly not the way we do our training presentations. Those are serious, but I, I know it's, it's important to get people's attention like that. And I find humor is a good way to keep the audience actively engaged. Right on. Well, I I really enjoyed it. I laughed really hard. Um, at one point in time when you were like, you know, uh, say a derogatory term and, and you just wouldn't. And it's like, okay, that's what actual allyship is when you, you know, you're totally pressuring someone to say a derogatory term and they didn't. That's where I, I laughed. So I know I seen the humor. I seen the jokes. And uh, even for me, I want to show it off at my nonprofit and say, hey, check it out. This is my cousin. <laughs> so I want to do the brag. That's for sure. Yeah, I think with with humor, it's very easy to like um, to take the low hanging fruit and just sort of like make fun of people, and that it takes a lot more effort into writing good jokes and uh, good bits to to make it so it's not at the expense of other people. And like the thing with that sort of derogatory humor that you see a lot is that it's almost all been done before (laughs) like yeah um if you you look in like if you watch some of the stand-up specials from like the 80s it's just horrific to hear nowadays (laughs) we were just talking about that my uh, husband and I about like Andrew Dice Clay and Sarah Silverman and all of these folks that you know the jokes that they would have made back then were just not funny and um, how there has been a huge evolution in order for uh, comedy to be funny and I really get a kick out of like some mainstream folks are are pretty good uh, but uh, there's that fellow that is from the Daily Show I really enjoy his humor Trevor Noah um, oh yeah Trevor Noah yeah he talks a lot about you know racism in in his jokes and and makes fun of it I think in a really great way but uh, it's funny because I've actually heard a lot of people say that they don't get the humor but they also don't have a lot of um, intersectionality lens either so 
you know, I, uh, I'm really looking forward to your series and, and the work that you're doing and, and the jokes that you're doing. I'd love to see you continue with comedy. That's for sure. I think Trevor Noah is a good example of the strength that having diverse voices in creative arts really has because he tells a lot of jokes about himself that are extremely personal to his own life. Like um, he tells a lot of stories about growing up in South Africa that no one else would be able to tell just because they don't have that experience growing up like that. And so even though you may not have the same life experience, um, you're still being entertained by have, seeing this novel take on something that you haven't really heard anything about. That's right. Or at, at least for the first time, not through this lens of, uh, uh, I like the term poverty porn that a lot of people talk about mm-hmm. um, and white saviorism. And he just, you know, debunks all of that and talks about that uh, through his own lens. And I love that as well. So, um, yeah, he's a really good uh, comedian to, I that I, I draw strength from. And he talks about, you know, um, privilege and power so so well in his jokes so i'm glad we have that in common still (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and i think that that's also a good point is that um i think africa particularly but other continents as well a lot of people tend to look at it as a monolith (laughs) but you you really shouldn't expect someone from like egypt to be having anywhere near the same experience as someone from South Africa. Oh, I love that you brought up that point. I know here in North America, I try to talk about the distinct nations that all of the indigenous have. And yet I think that's really lost and we're really pan-indigenized. So I just, I have so much um, respect with that. And when I talk about, um, we, we actually here in Calgary have been trying to form, you know, more, of a Black Lives uh, Matter movement, but we we are very clear in this area that we have all of the different cultural groups, um, you know, proudly from their countries, and and each one has a slightly different take, whether it's dancing, whether it's politics, whether it's uh, Christian society within their own. So there's so many different um, groups within that it, it it's an interesting conversation to try to even talk about what Black Lives Matter looks like, because to me, in a way, that's just that, again, pan-blacking everybody here in North America. So yeah, I'm really glad that you brought that up as well about South Africa, because I've met lots of different diverse um, groups here in Calgary that are, yeah, originally from Africa, but that's like saying, you know, oh, they're from the Americas, so they're all the same. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Or like, they're from Asia somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that one is such a tough one for me to talk to people about because Asia is so big. It's like it's huge when and there's so much diversity in in all these countries that have come together under this umbrella of Asia. So (laughs) I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. And like a lot of people have such a specific image of Asia that um, they're picturing East Asia. They're picturing China, Japan, Korea, that when you say to them, India is in Asia, they're like, no, it's not. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, it is. (laughs) India is as much Asia as China is. (laughs) Yes, yes. I know. I I love that you brought that up because we see that here in Calgary so much. When we talk about diversity, the lens is so narrow and pan-Asianizing 
you know, so many distinct groups. It's just ridiculous. It's like, it's, it's almost like taking that continent and being like, okay, so, you know, here is at least 70% of the population that we're just going to pan, you know, um, I guess lumped together in a way that, uh, and as if we could possibly suit the needs of everyone, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you a little more about how you identify um, within the within that context, because you know I love bragging about you, but I want it to be on your terms. That um, you know, how do you identify? Um. So, I guess. Ethnically, I identify as half native and half Chinese, um, but it's also interesting in that, uh, like, I didn't really understand a lot of the the distinguishing things until I actually visited China and then um, was able to go to Shanghai, where my grandfather's from, and then I go to Guangdong with my, my grandmother's from, and those are like such different places. <laughs> and oh, I was like, I bet. Um, yeah, I think uh, even within China, it has kind of the the same um, sort of pan ethnic problem where there are many, many ethnic groups in China, but um, most people are Han, so everyone just pictures that when they picture China. Mm. Yeah, no kidding. And then, you know, I know we just recently spent some well, I was up at Yellowknife with your with your mom and dad um, and your grandma, your Chinese grandma uh, mm-hmm. for a for a wedding. And it was a wonderful time to see, you know, life through everybody's lenses. And your mom scared me being on top of the falls. And I was like, you know, Auntie, I really don't like you being that close to the falls. But I, I couldn't go and possibly sit with her or stand with her because it was too close for me to get to. <laughs> yeah, my mom will do a lot of things for a good picture. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of arts, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right on. So um, this uh, video you put out, uh, you said already that it, it's you're a training facilitator. This was really meant for like your your university campus, but obviously I'm going to just spread it to everybody. And I was wondering how you feel about that. How do you feel about, uh, you know, that type of work getting out there more? Because we actually don't have a lot of diversity videos like this. And I I really do think it's one of a kind. Well, I think that's one of the things that we considered when we were writing it is that even though it is for, um, for our campus, it, we wanted to make sure it wasn't too um, specific because of that. We knew that it would be um, posted online and could be seen by anyone. So we wanted to give that sort of broader scope. Mm-hmm. Have you gotten any feedback from it other than me? Um, I haven't been following it that closely um, because we're, we're starting work on the next one. And um, I... It, it wasn't really my, um, I wasn't the primary on that project that would be more Lane and Brody. So um, even though like I am physically in the video, um, it left my hands as soon as we were done filming. And then I didn't really um, have much involvement with that fair. after we stopped. <laughs> yeah, that's totally fair. So you're working on the next one. What is it uh, specific about? 
Um, so there are a couple of options and we're actually uh, having a meeting about this on Wednesday to hash out and do a writing session for that. But um, there are a couple of options we can do. One is a more specific analysis of what privilege is and what um, that would um, what that entails and how you should examine it. Mm, so yep. that's one of our options. Um, another one is um, partnering with, again, Jen. Um, they have some events coming up this Friday for International Women's Day. Mm. So um, we could, um, I believe one of the topics we considered covering was rape culture, especially on campuses. Mm. That's a really good conversation to have because, man, there's been so much change um, in dialogue about, you know, with Me Too happening. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know uh, what it's like for you out in Ontario, uh, obviously here, me being a very small minority, being a political liberal, um, talking about equality, gender equality, gender equ inclusion, gender diversity, all of those issues. What's it like out there in Ontario? What what kind of dialogue are you having about, um, you know, women's rights, women's equality, uh, rape culture? And I hate to lump rape in a women's paradigm because rape is everyone, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so I think particularly with um, being a university student and uh, living and spending most of my time on a university campus that the the types of discussions that I am having and hearing are pretty fundamentally different than what the the general population of London and Ontario would be having but um, I think that for the most part Ontario is more uh, receptive to having these sorts of discussions like um, there was a liberal government for I think 14 years and then just this past election was Doug Ford um, so even with the types of rollbacks that Doug Ford wants to do that at the very least prompts discussion about those sorts of issues but mm. um so Allyship Network, in addition to doing training, another thing we do is advocacy. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the the pieces of advocacy work that we are doing is um, mandated in the Western Residence um, Employee Handbook, which would be for like RAs and DONs, which are very similar to RAs. I'm not 100% on the difference because I didn't live in residence. <laughs> gotcha. Um, for them, uh, they have a responsibility to report any disclosures of sexual assault to the police. So because of that, we, um, we want to make sure that any people who are affected by that know about that policy before they disclose so that it's not taken out of their hands how they wish to proceed because um, some people don't want to get police involvement uh, particularly because there are 
extremely low rates of actual um, follow through with police and then eventual like consequences for the perpetrators. Yep. So some people just don't want to go through that at all. Mm-hmm. And however, if they tell their RA or their Don, and then at that point, they have no choice in the matter because the RA has to report it to the police. Uh. So because of that, we want to um, mandate that they need to put up proper signage saying that before you tell us, before you disclose anything of this sort, know that we have to report it. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's something we've been focusing on is making sure that um, survivors are able to control whatever processes they would like to go through. Oh, I love that work that you're doing because that is so fundamental. Um, There are a lot of survivors that it takes a long time to get to the point that they feel comfortable doing it if they choose to do it at all. And, you know, having the support of other agencies as opposed to being, you know, forced to with the police. And then there's that intersectionality of uh, lack of trust with the police and justice system that needs to be talked about more. And I think um, that's such a great conversation to have about privilege. A lot of people just arbitrarily trust the police and arbitrarily trust the justice system. And a lot of people have actually dealt with the police and the justice system don't. So Mm -hmm. it's brilliant that uh, you're doing this work. And I think that it was a couple years ago that the, I think it was the Globe and Mail unfounded report found that only 2% of um, sexual assaults that occur actually go through to a conviction mm-hmm. and that that means that the other 98 percent um at some step of the way are halted and so we wanted to make sure that before people go through the the actual long and possibly traumatic process of that that they they know their options oh it's brilliant i love this work that you're talking about doing and i hope that um well, I know I'm looking forward to your next video series and see what you contribute. But even the conversations themselves are brilliant. Um, you know, we have these conversations out here about wanting to have more, um, I guess, gender equi- equitable policies in general. And this is not a conversation a lot of people are ready for, but I really would like to get there. I've been trying to retweet uh, folks like uh, Sheldon Kennedy because he talks a lot about child abuse and uh, child sexual abuse. And, you know, like it, this is an issue that we need to be, you know, finding policies on no matter how uncomfortable it is. So we, we got to fix this so that kids are protected as well as anyone vulnerable for that matter, being protected against rape and, and having faith in the justice system and having a justice system that works. <laughs> you know, these are these are real issues. So I'm really grateful you're doing this work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this year, um, the Allyship Network really did a uh, it did a shift in its approach in the type of uh, training that it wanted to facilitate. So in previous years, it was only LGBT allyship that it would try to um, teach, and it was a lot more specific, um, a lot of instruction about pronouns and um, different LGBT issues. But this year we're taking an anti-oppressive approach. So we are focusing on 
sort of all oppression as we found that the type of work we were doing before, while it was good that we could um, explain these sort of glossary of various LGBT terms that might be confusing to people if they've never heard of them. Mm-hmm. It was very specific what we were doing. And now we've broadened our scope so that it can be applicable to um, if you experience uh, an instance of racism or sexism or homophobia, the approach is the same for all of those. I love this. I love this. Um, in my podcast, I talk about anti-oppressive solutions and and uh, ways to combat that, and you know, de-escalating situations, and um, being there for somebody who's experiencing that. So, this work I think is so critical that you're doing, and I'm so happy to hear about it. Um, I wanted to ask you what terminology you're using. I know um, I've originally started with safer spaces, creating safer spaces, but a lot of that conversation has now evolved into accountable spaces. What does that look like for you and the uh, network that you're working within? Um, So the way that we use the term safe space is that um, it means that you are in a space where you can be expected to be uh, not questioned in your identity and not be harassed. So um, because we there's a lot of focusing on safe spaces, particularly in the university context, um, we, we especially focus on saying, like, it's not meant to shut down conversation. It's meant to stop harassment and these sort of bad faith arguments. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you have like a a freedom of speech policy? Because I find that a lot of um, whatever oppressive um, people, oppressive people will use uh, freedom of speech as their tool and their mechanism to be able to continue on with their hateful words. So do you have a policy at all about that? Yeah. So in terms of free speech, we, um, there's a couple of things we mentioned about it. Um, so in Canada, we talk about freedom of expression as freedom of speech as an American concept. So um, with freedom of expression, it's really about what the government does to intervene um, in ways that you can speak. It's not the way that people interact with each other. So an example of that would be if you are being fined or arrested for what you were saying and for the most part that's not really happening Mm. um but a a lot of people interpret freedom of speech as um you have to listen to me say this and you can't oppose that in any way (laughs) um and so with uh free speech it's it's important to realize that like no one is actually stopping you from doing that. We're uh, we're ac- we're asking you to exercise compassion and consideration for the people around you. <laughs> I love the way you frame that. That's fabulous. Um, what are some uh, highlights and lowlights that you've come across doing this activism, doing this work? Um, you know, I I know t- this week has been a really hard week for me because Jody Wilson rainbowed and the Liberal Party has had like a spotlight shine on them. But I I feel like what's popped out is a lot of that, you know, racism, anti-oppression, 
uh, type language has been used against indigenous, against women. And then people saying, I don't, I don't see how this has anything to do with any of this. And then continue on of, as to how incompetent she is. So like for me, I've had a really hard, hard week. So what are some of your, you know, what does a hard week look like for you? What does a good week look for you? Well, um, the thing is the, the Doug Ford government got elected in, in the past year and there was sort of a, a shift while, um, I, I've only been um, participating with Allyship Network for this past year. Mm-hmm. So I did see a shift um, at um, a certain point in the election when it looked like Doug Ford was getting more support. And especially after he won that um, a lot of the things that he was saying, like he wanted to uh, cut funding for universities. And of course we are a university service. Um, mm-hmm. So that would directly affect what we were able to do, but also it had the effect of um, this muzzling effect on the level that um, universities don't want to rock the boat uh, in case they are then targeted for losing funding. Mm. So because of that, um, there's also, uh, I don't know if this made it out to Alberta, but there was the, the Doug Ford university free speech policies where he wanted all of the universities to draft a free speech policy, which was um, trying to stop people from protesting speakers at universities. <laughs> and so um, there's a lot of opposition to this, but um, I think Western and other universities sort of begrudgingly agreed at risk of losing their funding. But um, really what this is, is um, it was a response to instances where speakers like uh, Milo Yiannopoulos or Jordan Peterson are getting uh, protests when they are scheduled to speak and they they thought that was an infringement of freedom of speech when uh, it's it's not. It's an exercise of people's uh, freedom of expression through protest. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Well, I'm. it's interesting hearing that. We just had a speaker come out from Toronto and she was working on some anti-racism policies that were instituted before Doug Ford. And um, they actually talked about how they the election itself at a certain point they recognized that there was a wedge issue between the conservatives and the liberals totally and solely based on lgbtq2 plus issues uh, gsas and sex education and i i know that uh, the conservatives learn from each other and try to repeat what's effective. So I, we are really starting to see that dialogue out here in Alberta. And of course, it's ramping up for the election, right? So it's interesting hearing you say that. And I think um, hearing her talk about that and, and how that they recognize that was the wedge issue. You already talking about instead of um, 
being focused on more LGBTQ plus issues with your allyship network of going to that anti-oppressive approach. And, and that's almost like a, something that I can learn from right now and, and start working on that. I think I'd like to think I was working on that previously, just not using that terminology. But, you know, I just I definitely want to learn from that. And I really don't want to see a repeat of uh, Doug Ford type policies here in Alberta, because I feel like for the first time in in my lifetime our lifetime we're seeing some positive progressive uh shift and and movement in um in alberta politics so it's a really interesting well, hearing you say that uh i remember when i was in high school in alberta there was the issue then was um can schools prevent students from forming gsas and ultimately the answer was no and then uh, a, li- a couple of years ago, there was the issue of um, with GSAs, were schools allowed to report to parents if a child had, um, or if a student rather, they're not all children, if a student had attended a GSA meeting mm-hmm. and or had joined. And then on one end, it was the school should be required to inform the parents if a student had attended a GSA meeting. And so that is obviously very dangerous for many LGBT students, Mm -hmm. um, especially if they're not out to my parents as I I wasn't out to my parents in high school. And (laughs) uh, I can think about how my experiences would be different if that was the case. Yes. Um, especially if I was like forcibly outed by a teacher. Wow. Um, oh, that's just the thought of that just makes me so upset thinking about it, Callie. Um, mm-hmm. we, just to tell you, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, our, our daughter's first babysitter was actually transitioning and mm-hmm. and 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 came out as our as our babysitter and the same person did all of this fantastic work at the Force Lawn uh high school to get a gender neutral bathroom available for people so i've really really feel blessed 100% to have gone that route with them but also with you and and see how this is manifesting itself in our own in our own uh, family because you know, we have another family member that's um, having some difficulties within the family context as well. So it's just really great to hear you say that because I don't think I've ever thought of that perspective of what that conversation and what effect that must have been having on you at that time. Um, mm-hmm. Not knowing, right? Sorry? Just not knowing that uh, you mm-hmm. were struggling with that at that time. Yeah. Um, like, now that you bring up gender neutral washrooms, I'm thinking how last year, um, Western, uh, in its sort of primary, um, student building, think, think, uh, McEwen Hall at the U- University of Alberta. Um, in that building, we just last year got, uh, multi-stall gender neutral washrooms. So wow. before, um, we had, single occupancy washrooms but those were also the only washrooms with the uh, machinery necessary if you are um, confined to a wheelchair and you um, maybe need a carer in there with you those were the only washrooms for that so um, it's very 
unfair to um, sort of require this group of people that really does not need that single occupancy washroom to use it. Mm -hmm. And then you're putting the people that do need that sort of machinery, uh, you're putting them in a position where other people rely on that one bathroom as well. So it's um, that's something that uh, we've been pushing for a lot is just a normal mm-hmm. public bathroom like you would see, but completely non-gendered. Oh, I'm so grateful to have these conversations with you. I'm I feel really grateful to learn so much. Um, you know, I coming from incredible cis straight privilege and um not having a clue of some of the challenges that other folks were facing and then able able bodied as well. Um I you know, a term that has come across my my um radar more than once is the term um oppression olympics and it bothers me so much because you know, like why can't it just be everybody has different uh, needs and we need to meet the needs of everybody. So I was really happy to bring, have you bring um, up these stalls that are really designed for folks that have, you know, other, other needs. So I was really grateful to hear that. Yeah. It's uh, I, I've also heard the term oppression Olympics um, a fair bit. And it's, it it's for one thing, not, really a useful concept in that like it's not helping anyone (laughs) it's um it's it's oppressive it's its own oppressive yeah it's something where um it really comes from the concept that there is a a single normative body um sorry to to, to go yeah. Foucault on you, but yeah. it's the, the white middle class, able-bodied male, um, male ideal. And then anytime you are outside of that box, that's just like another, um, I guess if we're going with the Olympic oppression Olympics example, that would be another medal. And some people think <laughs> that the more medals you have, the more oppressed you are, but really it's, every single aspect of yourself there's um there's able-bodied and there's non-able-bodied yeah and even then there's different aspects like there's there's sighted there's blind there's uh hard of hearing deaf people who can hear Mm -hmm. um those are all different aspects of a person and to act like um having different um different traits that are not common means that you are um like you're trying to be special <laughs> yeah um cbc which i know my family just resents that i listen to so regularly but i love listening to some of their um episodes and one person that they had come up and they said this i thought so eloquently and they said that um you're temporarily able-bodied because sooner or later we all have something that happens that we are not able-bodied and uh, i i've always kind of that's always stuck with me where you know being really appreciative number one that i'm able-bodied right at this exact moment but two recognizing that you know the older i get or if an accident happens whichever it was such a great term uh, to describe the situation of being able-bodied because it is temporary. It's not, nothing's guaranteed, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I've never heard anybody say, oh, you should get an Olympic for that or a medal for the, for the oppression <laughs> Olympics. That's so funny. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's interesting to think that 
um, there, I think the, the fundamental different types of privilege are ones that you're born with and ones that can change. So, um, for example, one you would be born with is say your race. Mm. Um, that is just the way you are from birth. You have no control over that. Um, there was nothing over your life that caused you to be one race at one point, And then at a different <laughs> point, you were a different race somehow. <laughs> um, at least not from a societal view. There are, there are ways that, um, like, if you are passing of a certain race, that you can be treated differently by society, but your your race itself does not change. Yeah. And then there are ones that, that can change, like, uh, for example, ability or class. Uh, those are different things that are you are able to change over the course of your life. So um, those are those are things that um, I think people are afraid of. Mm-hmm. Is that they're afraid of losing various aspects of their privilege, which is um, why um, there's a lot of the. Uh, I think particularly in fiction, there's the, uh, the the parent who is afraid to find out that their child is gay because they're worried that they will lose some aspect of their privilege in the world. Or people are afraid to be disabled um, because, one, it's changing your life, but also it's changing the way society treats you. Mm-hmm. Um it's like I saw a joke online and I, I don't know where it's from, but I like to credit when things aren't mine yeah. um, that um, white people are worried that in 2042 uh, that in America, they're going to become the minorities. And why are they afraid? Are minorities treated badly in America? <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so so good, and I'm so glad you used that point of talking about a parent of somebody with uh, LGBTQ two plus kids, because for even myself, that's something that uh, like I had to pro- process why that's a thing, um, and why wh- why it bothers so many people. So I'm really glad you brought that up, and I don't know, I just I really feel I could continue this conversation forever with you. What really led you down t- this road to talk about these things, like? Was it that Doug Ford had one and that you had seen that shift coming up? Or was this something that was kind of always on your radar, but now you've made time for it? Um, so uh, part of it was that um, these are things that affect me as a, a trans person, as a racialized person um, living in the world. But also it was... Um, sort of personal connections so um, at western there's also the uh, lgbt student service which is uh, pride western Mm. so i had met a lot of the people through that including lane who was the allyship coordinator and lane then invited me asking me do you want to be a training facilitator Mm. and so that's how i was brought on board because it's um the allyship coordinator um, is selected by uh, the university students council. And then the coordinator selects 
the people that they would like to work with on their projects. So I was uh, selected by Lane to be in uh, be a training facilitator. Oh, that sounds great. I'm so proud of all of the work that you're doing. And I think you're so courageous to come out. And I just hope you know how much I I love you. I'll always love you as my cousin. And the work that you're doing now, I will promote until the end of, I. well, I feel as a, as a straight person that I have a responsibility, number one. And when I'm in my straight circles to be telling people, you know, these issues. But also, I think part of it was for me when I... Uh, you know, I had to deal with a lot of sexism in my 20s in my counseling. But when I had my daughter, the racism was so clearly in my face, I had to start talking about these issues and dealing with those issues. So um, yeah, it's so weird. There's such a generational gap sometimes between you and I yet I feel like uh, I'm just late in the game and you're just on top of it. And I'm, I'm really honored that you're doing this work. And I just hope to keep following your work and promoting it online. Well, I think one of the uh, one of the conversations that I had you, I think in 20, 2014, um, either twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen, really stuck with me, and that was how you were saying like um, some of your uh, some of your daughter's uh, classmates' parents were like extreme nationalists or extreme far right. Uh, people and I before that point I was like 16 17 I'd never like considered that was a thing but then I started to look into it and then I was like oh this is real and I started <laughs> telling people it was real and then the, the 2016 American election happened and I was like I told you <laughs> I was telling you two years ago I told you, you. yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I know it, it. it's so weird because when you come to the these some of these realizations, like to me, I felt like such a conspiracy theorist in the in the family. But at the same time, there were so many like this is real. This is happening. And um, I don't know if I ever told you this, but growing up in Sylvan Lake down in Caroline, they used to like burn crosses. So like, yeah. that, you know, anti-Semitism, I, I didn't even know. I used to say in in high school. Um, a really like uh, derogatory um, thing about Jews being cheap and I didn't I didn't know at the time that was the expression and what I was saying and I actually had a classmate pointed out to me so man I've been really lucky to be kind of shown my privilege all along my life and the very same people that I'd be like oh why are you so nationalistic are still the same people that pointed out hey did you know you're being racist so <laughs> well I think that that's one of the fundamental differences between uh, Canada and the U.S. is that Canada does not have nearly the level of black populations because we didn't have people bringing in tons of chattel slaves from Africa. So, but on the other hand, Americans don't have nearly the indigenous population that we have, um, at least in terms of like percentage of population, because they were a lot more aggressive on their uh, aims to get rid of native people. Mm -hmm. And so um, a lot of American racism is focused on the black white dichotomy. And then uh, the, a lot of Canadian racism is focused on settler indigenous dichotomy. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm so happy to hear you say that. I'm so honored to be your cousin. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I, I guess, you know, we probably could continue forever, but I just wanted to say thank you for coming on my podcast. Um, once we get the link up, I'll give it to you. And um, yeah, I hope I hope we make our family happy. I know for me, the whole reason yeah. why I did this podcast um, was, well, one, you know me, I rant and share stuff on Facebook and Twitter. But my husband was really, he pushed me. He said, look, not everybody listens or watches you on Twitter or whatever. So this is a different medium. You have to start trying podcasting. So, you know, as I started doing it, and I mean, there's there's everyone in our life that we could easily have on the show and make an hour-long show, not even a question. So I'm really grateful mm-hmm. that you wanted to be on my show and that you're willing to tell me about all of the work you're doing with this allyship network. And I'll be following it and sharing it. You know it. Well, it was a pleasure to be on the show. <laughs> Indigenous have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas and reports, commissions, and public hearings just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor the words. Honor the treaties. Listen to the politicians and their policies and platforms. If they do not recognize the marginalized in their budget with Gender Equity Plus, if they are cutting violence prevention programs and services, if they are cutting... Uh, extra funding to university programs that directly affect marginalized people. Know that your vote to that party is directly impacting marginalized people in a negative way. Demand they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People, the multiple reports on child welfare reform and violence prevention. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same things. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. And if they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running. These should be understood by all parties and or local politicians, sports, community organizations, etc. Violence is just an everyday reality for Indigenous people. And every generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear my voice as an Indigenous Dene woman, but sure want to tell us theirs, Um, usually by people who know nothing about being female, know nothing about being Indigenous, know nothing about gender um, equity, know nothing about colonialism, the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, our rights, typical microaggressions, people dealing with internalized tra- uh, trauma and racism, those who are gatekeepers, some that survive off the status quo, and other people who are still in their trauma and stop people from doing work and depleting resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. So I want to say thank you for listening, and I hope that my family will be proud of me in the future as we list, we talk about these present-day issues in a way that they understand. I think today, because uh, we had Callie on, you know, again, I'm just going to encourage people to Google safer spaces and to do anti-oppressive and de-escalating work when it comes to uh, bystander intervention. So I hope that you consider looking at that. I hope you watch my, my cousin's video. And I'm sure you heard a lot of the reasons why we say what we say on this podcast every day. If you're experiencing any emotional distress and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny and my mom, of what strength looks like through your example. 
I want to say thank you to my dad for teaching me how to be blunt and strong. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through your Austrian family and roots and stepping up and teaching me how to be a proud Calgarian. It is through you I am a second generation proud Calgarian. I want to say thank you to my husband for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, childhood friend, father of our child, and support down my journey of the Red Road, he has witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, who we are blessed to learn from every day, you, we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. I want to say thank you to Amanda, Ashley, Beatrice, Diana, Joni, Judy, Kenna, Kimberly, Matt, Nancy, Nathan, Phyllis, Sharon, The Sprawl, Tiffany, and Veronica. Thank you all for signing up. If you can listen, oh, sorry, if you value listening and you can afford to give, thank you. To those that cannot afford to give, but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments and your questions, maybe your stories. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. I'd love to have you on my show. And I want to end with my beautiful cousin in mind, not the one I was talking to, but a different one. When I said I, the Calgary Rabbits, you're lucky I'm not your dish. And to my beautiful cousin, she would respond, or you'd be in my dish.